August 9th, 2018. Welcome to Postmarkdom 2000. I'm Scott Southerd. And I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Scott, my friend. My mom took me to Blockbuster. Got some Chef Boyardee. Ooh. I finally saw Mission Impossible 2. Oh, how'd you love the masterpiece? Oh, I did not like that movie bow, very bow, much. Bow, bow, the soundtrack bow. is kick ass. Are there more songs on the soundtrack than just those two? The L- Limp Bizkit and the Metallica and Metallica. <laughs> if there are, I don't care. I um, love how they both also <laughs> implemented the Mission Impossible theme song dude, into this into their alt new having, metal songs. Having just watched um, six Mission Impossible movies in two weeks. They have always been very good with that franchise of having a score that just like takes a tiny bit of the original theme and will like hold it out or like just make it like a lot more subtle and Mm -hmm. like build around that. It's brilliant stuff. Hey, welcome to Postmarkdom uh, 2000. Uh, my name is Tim Crisp. I'm here with Scott. We we had this idea. I don't know if y'all have been looking at our feed since we've been starting, but we have been posting in concurrence with the uh, WrestleMania numbers. The Roman numerals. system. The Roman numerals, aside from 2 and 13, which are the, the numbers as they appear um, in the titles... WrestleMania 2 and 13, just numbers, not Roman numerals. I'm explaining this poorly. But we had this idea. Oh, when we get to 2000, which is 16, which is the episode that we're on right now, we'll just do something where we talk about, we can just talk about SummerSlam 2000. Get a little. We won't, yeah, we'll get, we'll get into it. We won't break kayfabe at all. We'll just pretend. Well, and this timing was also going to work out pretty well in the lull between pay-per-views. Yeah, we had we had some some weeks where like not much was going to happen and it wouldn't have mattered if we didn't cover it and that much turned out to be true, but we we just didn't we cover just, anything. We just didn't cover anything. We had to take a couple of weeks off here. Uh life just happens. It's so weird that we you and I we we only have time to do this at a very specific time. <laughs> it's true. During the week. It's after it's after a ten hour work day for me and it's before you go play uh whatever it is, past life. We gotta do you, some wizards. Yeah. We gotta get some fireballs and orcs. How's that going? Oh, it's going really well. Last okay. I don't know if anybody that is in the Dungeons and Dragons crew listens to this podcast. T- oh, Terry does, doesn't he? Yeah. Sometimes. Fuck. Sometimes. Uh, well, whatever. Uh, I feel like this is how I communicate with Terry at, at this point is is through my various podcasts. <laughs> Just little but notes. It's, it's not, he's not unique in there. This is like this is like what I do now is I only talk to you if you come over and to do. The, hey, we watched the, Lolita this week. We did. That was sick, dude. I've been that thinking about that movie fantastic. a lot. Fantastic. I was thinking about it a lot too. That's why I went back to that that Kazan guy. I want to watch the I want to watch East of Eden. Cause yeah. I want to watch things before 1960, like in that period where it's we're moving in. Anyway, so you got you got a big uh, you got a big campaign going. Oh on my God! There? No, we had a one-off campaign. Uh huh. Because uh, a couple of the crew are they're on vacation. They couldn't make it for a couple of weeks. Similarly to our show, and um, were they all buying houses too? They were all buying houses and. Uh-huh. Uh, having work done at their apartments. <laughs> uh, the 
we did one real quick one-off night where um, it was all based around uh, the movie Bad Lieutenant with Harvey Keitel. Uh, what what year? Oh man, it's um, I don't know, eighties. Have uh, you never seen Bad Lieutenant? I've never seen Bad Lieutenant. Oh my god, but dude! I, I, I'm halfway through U.S. Marshals right now. Oh, that's like pretty much the same movie. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh Bad Lieutenant is about Harvey Keitel. It's nasty, man. I think it's mm, Lars von Trier. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Right? Lars von Trier. Yeah. He only gets nasty. Yeah, it's it's really upsetting. He's Is there a full frontal scene though? Oh, I'm you see right Kaitel's dong. And no I think way. it's on the cover of the film. Uh-huh. It's just yeah, his it totally dong. Is. Uh it's one it's a really powerful scene. Abel Ferrara. Is that his name? That's the no, that's the name of the director of this uh this film here. Bad Lieutenant? Yeah. No. I'm looking at it right now. No. I thought it was Lars von Trier. I think that you're confusing Lars von Trier and Abel Ferrara. Uh, I must be. Uh, well, whatever. Yeah, the the whole <laughs> the whole movie is um about him being a a bad cop, and he's oh, like okay. free bases coke all the time. Oh, he's a real bad. He's cop. a real bad cop. He's a bad lieutenant, uh-huh. if you will. Uh-huh. And so we had a whole campaign about that. Terry's character is a uh, wannabe cop. And so, you know, we had to do a little quick one-off. And yeah. Well, I'm, I'm halfway through a movie about a good cop. His a a marshal. His name is Tommy Lee Jones's character in The Fugitive and U.S. Marshals. I'm excited to watch U.S. Marshals at It's some on point. HBO Go. Oh, cool. I have that. Yeah. It's got... And it's, you should read up on Robert Downey Jr.'s uh, behavior... During the filming of that movie. Oh, is that when he's at his lowest oh, low? he's just, he's terrible. He just like disappeared for like a week. Is he, can you sit, can you tell? He, well, it's kind of hard to tell because his whole character is like kind of the, he's like a young hot shot. He's got a real, real big head. He's playing himself. Yeah. I feel like he was playing himself because did you ever see Less Than Zero? Yeah. He's like doing that there too, where right. he's just like. Well, I mean, I feel like Iron Man kind of. Iron Man's an interesting piece of work, right? Because it kind of takes it takes Robert Downey Jr.'s like perception and I think his own like looking back at what he used to be and it's just like, yeah, he's a prick. But now he's like he's not like a damaging prick. He's just a prick. He, like you if he's you a saw, laser focused prick. If you saw Robert Downey Jr. like in a hallway, he would probably be an asshole to you. But at least he's not like a drunk. Yeah, he's not like actively hurting you anymore. And it's interesting with Iron Man because like the history of that story, the Tony Stark arc before those films is that he was a total like like alcoholic, just verbally and physically abusive asshole. Yeah. And it's like, oh man... Robert Downey Jr. just keeps playing himself Fits everywhere. Him so perfectly. Um, I wonder. I wonder what Robert Downey Jr. has thought of wrestling over the past few weeks. <laughs> On the WWE side, he's got to be excited for SummerSlam because I know I am. It's the biggest event of the summer, biggest party of the summer, biggest party of the summer coming from Brooklyn, New York, which is it's been doing that for the past what three, four years now. Yeah, it's kind of the the headquarters at this point uh, yeah it's 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 firmly established and you know we know the territory that we're in and i think as we move into the SummerSlam, 
main event picture, you're kind of sitting there wondering like, all right, this is what this is what's happening here. We got Brock and we got Roman, and the last time we tried to do this in front of uh, in front of a crowd of people in the United States of America, it didn't work out so well. And now you're going to put them in a much smaller place with a very very vocal wannabe Chicago crowd. <laughs> how are they gonna? How are they gonna make this work? Has yeah, I'm wondering has progress been made at all on the front of of actually changing hearts and minds of uh of the fandom it's interesting to like look at shoemaker said something really good a few weeks ago that the worst thing that they could have done for roman reigns was to take to take it away from him at wrestlemania 31 obviously like it worked out well for seth Mm -hmm. but it kind of just it's always been apparent that like this is going to happen for Roman at some point. We're three years removed from it, and it's still it's like, all right, let's. It's it's just like trying to force this through somehow, and it's just it's always felt that way. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that what they're doing with Heyman is really interesting. The idea that Braun comes in makes it interesting but how do you find a way to make roman reigns going over brock lesnar not something that the crowd is shitting on no matter what yeah and and shitting on in a way that's not like i honestly feel like at this point if you turn him heel I'm sorry. I know. I know. I gave you the opportunity, and then I just took it. Oh, but keep going. I know that you you can turn him heel, and that might be interesting. But at the same time, it's like, is there any type of swerve that like works with it? Or we is everybody just past the point where it's just like I just don't care. I just don't want this happening, dude. So I think that one of the things that's interesting in this specifics. So every time Roman has had a big match that we've all shat on or like you know a a big storyline point that everyone has kind of rejected uh it's really easy to fantasy book around that and say well they could have done x y or z right uh and they could have made this they could have turned him heel or they could have brought this guy in or whatever this situation is particularly it leans towards that philosophy because having a paul Heyman with a uh departing brock lesnar potentially be having a money in two potential money in the bank candidates that could very easily enter this picture on the very same night. I think those two offer this kind of like, um, whack-a-mole or like guess who of modular thoughts of what could be happening here. You can plug and play like, Oh, Paul Heyman might manage Kevin Owens. If Kevin Owens wins the match against Braun and he has the money in the bank, you can imagine like, two or three different scenarios for each money in the for potential money in the bank holders for potential like Paul Heyman swerves. There's a lot of ways that this match can end without Roman winning clean or without Brocklin winning clean. Absolutely. But if, if Roman doesn't win here, like let's say Braun or, or Kevin cashes in, right? We're all just waiting for Roman to, 
fight then it's like this this whole process of just like finally giving it to roman has been drawn out to such an extent the apathy is is palpable Mm -hmm. and it's it's just like you just got to do it and you have to figure out a way to to do it and to allow him to to make something of the way the crowd reacts to him because you know this is just this is a bad it's a bad spot for him to be in and we can argue like whether or not you know whose fault that is or like the the fact that there yeah. are a lot of people who get really excited about Roman Reigns matches and really root for Roman Reigns they're not going to be the people that you're hearing at the main event at SummerSlam in Brooklyn so but they know this. They know this, right? Right. It's not like WWE decides to have SummerSlam in Brooklyn not knowing they're going to get the smarkiest crowd around, right? And they know that. They knew that six months ago. They knew that when they made the decision in at WrestleMania, when they made the decision at the Greatest Royal Rumble. Did they, though? Or were they just like, did they get freaking cold feet again? Maybe. Because that's what 31 was. I think we can all conclude that, sure. right? That's obvious, right? But... Here's here's my thought. Are we at the point where like even a Roman Reigns heel turn doesn't do it? Yeah, I don't I don't know what I think people boo still and maybe that's what you're supposed to do when he turns heel. Yeah. I mean it would get an enormous pop, right? People would go nuts. Well, do they I, I yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's we're at this point now where it's like I mean, it's not even about I'm really glad that I'm not like going to this thing and like I'm not vesting any interest in it mm-hmm. um, because now it's sort of just say like you're kind of watching it with like scientific eyes of like what's the crowd going to do Dude, like, it, if the, it happens. The programming of, of all of this has forced us to since 31 has forced fans to watch this from yeah a scientific level because otherwise what are you even doing here this this whole thing makes no sense otherwise right and i think that like the you know the the idea that this has gotten like ridiculous to the extent that people are turning off wwe it's it's the same as the fucking people that stood in front of us at wrestlemania and, and told us turn around turn your back um make a statement but yeah, I I don't know if I if I've said this on here because we haven't done one of these in like four and a half years, but like I just can't wait for ten years from now when we talk about this time. It's how so strange weird. it is because it feels like it should have been. It feels like it should have been a summer. It feels like it should have been a weird summer, and it's been a long ass time. Is is Roman Reigns? Is is he I mean he's a sacrificial goat, right, for fan anger or the feeling of fan empowerment. I think there's some clear line from the Daniel Bryan, the rejection of Daniel Bryan not winning, the clear fan clamor for him yeah. uh leading up to WrestleMania thirty, and then watching fan reaction actually cause change. I think the crowd realized this is a thing. I know this is something that our friend Pat talks about quite often. Absolutely. About giving fans agency in the storytelling is kind of bullshit, which I don't know if I fully agree with, but I totally understand what he's saying there. And I think that that's clearly what happened here. And then, so we, we, we collectively as fans get Daniel Bryan into the main event picture. We win him a championship 
and move on from there to say like fuck Roman Reigns. Well, I mean, it's kind of like it's kind of like the way modernism works, right? Pat, I think, has a very like learned perspective of wrestling that you know it comes from him talking to people who have been doing it for a long time that you know know the way the wheels turn but i think from a like postmodernist perspective like if you're going to tell a story that you know is dependent upon a crowd reacting as being you know part of the the scene to your story and then progress it to where a crowd's reaction now has the ability to change the story in a way and that change maybe used to be something like well the crowd's not into it so we're just gonna cut the story and that'll be that crowd you know crowd didn't fans weren't into it that's that but now it's like the fans were taken in as like you know the third part of of the way that this story was told you can't undo that just like you can't unsee the frame or you you know you can't it's like it's like dylan goes electric you you can't change it yeah it's definitely a no turning back moment and i also think that there's something there that you know like you said before the fans had influence on things the fans turned Stone Cold Steve Austin from a heel to a baby face, right? But that's based almost entirely on simple crowd reaction. It's it's a binary thing. It's a yes or no. Right. Are they booing? Are they cheering? Or maybe are they just doing nothing? But and that's maybe like a participation that everybody is like in on, but nobody's like acknowledging it to such an extent. Right. And I think that maybe changes on some level once social media gets involved and people can have more reaction than just yes, no, or nothing. Right. Right now you can say, this is bullshit that Daniel Bryan isn't getting pushed rather than cheering for him. Uh You know, and we can get unified voices putting stuff out there that people are seeing and like creating clamor around a specific idea rather than just giving a bunch of thumbs ups for something. Yeah, and I mean, I think that the, what that's led to is kind of the idea that you can use the fans dialogue and work the fans like by you know just like planting things or you know maneuvering around reddit or using reddit to your advantage um as an example but you know you have i think what you have here is that you're trying to tell a story in a traditional sense but you've already you've already like stepped into a a level of reality that's just not going to allow the falsehoods of that narrative to you know it's just not going to be acceptable yeah they've i mean i don't know if jumping the shark is the perfect metaphor here but they've they've done something that's undoable yeah the the, i think that they closed the door that they can't yeah they can't go back um all of that being said, I think that it's interesting to look at what you have with four years of booking Roman Reigns and then to look over at the women's side and at your main event picture on Raw and SmackDown and you have Ronda Rousey who makes her fucking debut on Raw 
and they may have you know overbuilt the fact that it was her <laughs> raw debut but i mean show me someone in the audience who wasn't fucking so stoked and i was watching raw pretty inactively i was glued to that shit when it was happening it was so powerful she has gravitational pull man she was it this week that she slammed the mic on the ground or was that last week that was last week i mean that kind of stuff is so powerful she is making statements and i think her i mean say what you will about in-ring work or whatever her ability as a wrestler so far which I think she's fucking great yeah, at. She's by fucking, the way, yeah, yeah, you say what you will, but you're you're not right unless you <laughs> unless say she's that she's fucking, fucking awesome. awesome. Yeah, but uh, her presence is. I think I put it entirely more uh, importance on on ring presence or persona or charisma or whatever. Way more important. It's way more important to me than wrestling. Yeah, that's why CM Punk is awesome. Yeah, it's why Stone Cold Steve Austin is awesome. Well, she's just in there like. She's making it feel so important, and that has a lot to do with, like, you know, the person that she is coming in and, and doing it in the way that we all know her um, from her previous work. But, you know, there's, I think that there's just no real room for these sort of, like, crossing your arms or, like, second guessing, like, Oh, well, you know, she's not that good on the mic. But the moment she's, like, in a fight, fucking everyone is in on it. And you look at that, you look at Becky Lynch, who has really just, you know, like, incurred this huge amount of momentum over the past six months just based on the fact that people really like her. And they People want have, her to win. That's what it is, right? People uh-huh. like her, and and we, I, well, we're never going to stop talking about Becky Lynch on this podcast. But yeah. we, uh, I think people have always liked her, and they finally let her win, and now it's like, oh, that's all the momentum she needed was to win a few matches right. for a few months. Uh huh. And now the crowd is roaring for her. Yeah, and and just in a like, you know, these are two instances where people are. People are behind Becky because she's an underdog. People are behind Rhonda because she's intense. And they haven't... There's there's nothing that's been done to, like, manufacture that. And I think that looking at, looking at the type of storytelling that we're now in, that's kind of what you have to be able to do. And that's not... That's not going to be done. Be, not going to be done easily because the moment your fans are detecting that that's what you're trying to do, they're gonna they're gonna revolt. Yeah, as soon as it's, uh, what's his name? The other dude that was on Shoemaker's podcast this week that um, Terry hates so much. Oh, the, uh, the comedian, the, the sad style. but yeah. he's not. He's not as bad as the other guy. No, he's not. He's not as bad as Could the other guy. Could you imagine going out? to dinner with that guy oh uh, the way that he would talk to your server oh would my be so God. horrible <laughs> like uh, he's the type of he's the type of guy that's just like hey what, what do you think what do you think i got got a chance and you're just like what no and, and he like grabs your arm in a weird way when he says it too uh-huh. he like takes control he's, yeah he does weird power moves there's that he doesn't that, even know he's doing but it's 60 percent chance that he's crying at the end of the night mm-hmm. yeah uh 
into like a rum and coke or something. <laughs> the okay, but the 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 other dude on Shoemaker's podcast was like talking about Braun Strowman and why people react so positively to him. Yeah. And it's just because it's a very straightforward, authentic character. Yeah, definitely. Because I think that, like, I mean, yeah, Braun's a guy where they're you can see, you can see what they're what they're doing because it's kind of like it's just like I was thinking about the other day that you know thinking about the fact that Jason Jordan as Kurt Angle's son worked in in a in a time when that's just so like not even close to being like yeah. within the parameters of the types of stories that they tell but the fact that Kurt Angle and Jason Jordan believed in it so much it's like you kind of are finding yourself identifying with Jason Jordan's character just because you see him believing in it so much yeah, he's, you know he's definitely buying in i mean i think it's also similar to uh like the earlier broken hardy stuff right where you're just watching these people buy into this you're watching the the players themselves like really own own their craft do a little method acting and like really really believe what they're saying and i think that braun is just like an identifiable like like big gigantic dude that's like fulfilling a dream and you're you're watching this like character that's totally goofy but there's nothing that's there's no falsehood behind the guy that's portraying him you're just like yeah just like you know what like i'm i'm down because you're committed he's a big dude that wants to break shit and i think that when we started cooling on him so, sort of recently mm-hmm. it's when stuff started getting manufactured for him in a way that didn't make sense for that right, character because it was like it was like he was out of things to do yeah and then you're just like all right same old shit and i think that that's circling back to roman like i don't i've never felt like anything that he's done like you know roman reigns uh the guy um you know, there's nothing that he's like really done. I don't love his move set, but it's just been the fact that he's like positioned in this way where it's like, no, like I get that he's like stone faced and he's, you know, kind of an underdog, but nothing around him is actually like suggesting that that's a real thing. Not at all. The thing, the, this, the aura that is put off by Roman is still enforcer of the shield. He's yeah. still the big guy in the shield. That's still what he plays as a character. But the story that's being written and told for him is not, has nothing to do with that anymore. Something needs to evolve. Yeah. And I, I think that it's, it's like I mean, you just got to... You just gotta rip the band-aid off it's been on for fucking three years anyway i know <laughs> it's kind of what i'm feeling but you know looking over and seeing like two people who have just like developed in their own like unique ways but i mean even though you bring in ronda rousey as like a big star it's fucking organic what's happening completely with her. yeah it's a hundred percent organic her presence in the ring is just ronda rousey i mean we all have seen clips or watched matches of hers in the UFC, 
and it looks like her. And when she's on the microphone, it looks like the press conferences she gave before and after matches or on the red carpet or whatever. It's just her being her, and it makes a ton of sense. And she, the way that her matches felt in the UFC is how they feel now. She's a fucking megastar and and, and is really brilliantly translating that into an, an enormous amount of heat in the WWE. Yeah, it's it's been fun to watch, and I think that she's, I mean, it's not like she's necessarily the future because you can't really just, like, continue to find people who are able to, to do what she's doing very naturally, but, I mean, it feels like, it, it feels like she's very made for this time, and I think moving forward, she's going to be continue. she's going to continue to, to do great things in the wrestling um so i mean what else what else do we got we had a we we've had a few weeks off of here but but how are things how are things looking in general i think that coming out of uh raw and smackdown from uh the last from this past week the smackdown fucking title match is the thing that i want to talk about the most not the title match but the tag match that closed out smackdown New Day and The Bar. We haven't seen um, much from these two as tag teams lately, especially The Bar. But, I mean, they kind of just, like, came out to remind all of us that there's, <laughs> they can still fucking tear They're the, the house down. They're so good. It's crazy how stacked. We were talking earlier about the uh, the G1 blocks and how the, uh, the B block is way more stacked than the A block. The SmackDown tag roster is so absurdly overblown it's so good it's just over overwhelmed with uh with talent and it's wild to consider that it's it's usually the opposite right it's usually like smackdown is where the the people go to kind of develop into something like that's where divisions are built but it's it's almost like raw is what is doing that with their tag team division right now smackdown has all the fucking heavy hitters over there. Yeah, and it's it's cool. I think it's one of the I think we need to like make sure we take account of this time and and revel in it because for the past few years until the new day came along and really flourished with the Usos and whatnot. But up until then, the tag divisions of wrestling were pretty bare and yes. there was there were years without any real legitimate uh you know heavy hitters in in the tag divisions and now it's we're flourishing this is such a great time and i mean and and i think this this is going to be one of those we're gonna the new day is is a part of wrestling right now that people are going to be looking back on years down the line and i think that this is going to be kind of the you start out by talking about how over the gimmick is and how fun it was and the fact that it's you know three black guys that are that are out there and they're like at the top of the card and i mean the fact that that's in 2018 the fact that that's like sort of anomalous is (laughs) insane sure um but you know the second part of that is going to be the matches that they've put on with the usos and the bar over the past like three years where it's just like it's gone beyond the fact that they're they're fun and they have a great gimmick and you know one that's evolved like there are fucking classics 
that have happened like before our eyes and they're usually on the pre-show or on fucking smackdown or raw or at the bottom of a fucking pay-per-view card Mm -hmm. well and and that's the thing too there were multiple pay-per-views in a row last year that were where we walked away saying well well at least the uh, tag match was pretty badass yep and that's that's absurd from the start but i don't know i mean I, i think specifically the new day are like quickly solidifying themselves as hall of famers and and also there's no signs of, st- of of slowing down or stopping here this match on tuesday was such an indication that like a the new day is still super badass and they can still fight and they can still put on really amazing matches even though they're like day-to-day showing up as a gimmick team but also that there's this whole tag division that can still anchor shows which I think is really cool and something we haven't really thought about for a couple weeks at least, maybe a couple months. Yeah, you know, and I I think that, like, them being back in the title picture, it's it's crazy to think that, you know, they've pretty much held steady with a tag title belt for the past three years, and I fucking... I think that they they should have them again. Yeah. I mean, and that's not even... Taking into account my feelings on the Bludgeon Brothers, it's just like these are the fucking these are the champions and the champions of the past five years of tag team wrestling, at least in WWE. If I was if I was uh, not even in a playing booker way, but if I if I was if I had a company, if I had a franchise or some sort of wrestling establishment, I think I would try and like scientifically study the New Day to figure out what is working with them because they've worked for four five years how long have they been around they've worked so well Mm -hmm. and they've continued to work well and they've evolved in a lot of ways and they've stayed the same in a lot of ways and they're still very exciting and fresh and people like you and me are going to be rooting for them at SummerSlam to win the championship and that's weird to want some old tag team that's been around forever and isn't doing anything new but we still really would like them to win here. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of I can't think of too many people that have like been in a title picture for as long as they have where it's it, it hasn't felt stale. And people talk about them like you know wanting to wanting to break them up, and then matches like this happen. And like, it's like, ah, no, no, nope. no, they're fucking. They are they are on top of this division, no matter what. Um, speaking of SmackDown. AJ Styles, Samoa Joe is the fucking for the WWE title at SummerSlam. You tell me that three years ago? No fucking. Un- are you kidding me? I watched AJ's entrance at the Royal Rumble a couple days back. <laughs> oh my god! I just I I cannot over enunciate how man that was just so amazing. It it's, gave me chills to watch again. I, it's giving me chills thinking about it. Like, the, I, there's there's no crowd reaction in the history of wrestling that's like that because it's you can hear the entire arena just go, <gasps> and then they explode. Enormous. It's it's yeah, and it was funny because we all knew it was coming, right? Yeah, the, the rumors were out there. But all right, so let me let me play let me play devil's advocate a little bit here. How excited are you for this match based on what's been given to you between these two 
over the past three weeks. No, not at all. This I don't care that buildup. So I think I think they're doing it right, right? Because AJ and Nakamura felt like a dream match initially, uh-huh. and it was. It was you know this was something we'd wanted to see in WWE for as soon as both of them are on the main roster, and they led up to it for so long. And they tried to build a lot of story around it, and they they dragged it on for a long time. And in the end, it wasn't really what we'd hoped it was. With Joe and AJ, these this is another dream match. It's not the same type of dream match, but it's this is the first time two TNA champions are facing each other in WWE for a championship, mm-hmm. which is like crazy and uh, pretty unprecedented. And I think even without having a ton of previous like tna or impact knowledge or whatever you know i've watched some youtube clips here and there uh i know that that's important and i've watched matches of both of theirs that fucking uh triple threat have you watched that triple threat match of theirs with christopher daniels nope it's man if you're youtube at any point in time it's incredible it's uh-huh. such a good match youtube uh youtube okay. youtubing okay uh the, you write that down yeah it's uh it's a website on the internet okay the whatever the the point is is that this is this is a dream match and i don't need anything else from them they're we we know one is a good guy and one is a bad guy yeah either of them winning is fine i'd love if joe took that belt though Uh uh-huh i would love if joe took the belt too i'm still like i guess that i'm a little i'm a little tedious on on it because i feel like uh aj and and shinsuke it was just like that's the subtext of it is that we know that you want this so we're going to give it to you but they didn't really do much for me in the build and I feel like th- this is another version of that I think that's true I feel like they're I don't I would love I would love a one-off unless unless uh unless Joe wins and there's a rematch there but like I if if this becomes like stretched out the way that they did with Nakamura, I'm gonna be really bummed out. Um, Joe should have that belt. Joe should have that belt. I think if if AJ has, I think we're gonna look back on AJ as like one of the greatest champions ever. But I think the 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 major flaw in his his run is the fact that uh, he's not. It's either him or the company is not great around building rivalries around him. I think that that's a really true thing. And I I just don't know I don't know what it is. Me either. Because when he was facing John Cena, it felt like Cena was enough to make that important. Like Cena I think understood the weight of his character facing AJ. Right. And they pulled great things out of each other. But when it's somebody going up against AJ, it never really it never really develops a thickness to it. Yeah. You know? Totally. The matches are always good, but I mean honestly, I'll look back I'll look back at AJ Styles uh last year all of his best matches have been on TV yeah. against against people who he's just fighting because he's got a, he's been scheduled to fight them that night or the day before. He feels I mean he feels 
and that maybe is coming from his just being a great indie wrestler or the the territorial type of stuff where you know he just shows up he fights whoever depending on who he's fighting they maybe put on a classic match and and that's really it his his strong suit is not on the microphone or or building those like major feuds at all well i mean let's i don't want to i don't want to diverge too too big here but can you think of like someone who's done uh consistently good babyface work uh in wwe for the past five years that wasn't like an underdog story chasing the title yeah nobody other than nobody holding the belt as a face or just like existing as a face is really capable of like being consistently something you're invested in for more than six months i think seth uh, this summer has been kind of the the best example of that over the past like couple of years. But a lot of that had to do with like, hey, I'm here. I'm, you're going to believe in me again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't really know. I don't really know how you fix something like that. Yeah. Because it's not it's not on it's not on AJ. Right. He's he's the best wrestler in the company. He's the best wrestler in the company. And, and I don't think that. I think maybe it's more of a structural or a systemic thing at this point. I don't know how you have a babyface champion at this point that's dynamic in any way. I, it makes sense that AJ is where he is, and he's been, he's been holding the belt for a long time. Kids love him, and it seems like you can just do the Hulk Hogan treatment of just like cycling bad guys in for mm-hmm. him to fight and defend against and win, and I think that's okay. I don't think it's bad. It's uh, it's worked for a while, right? Uh, yeah, I'm never gonna I, I'm never gonna complain about it. But like, I I fucking take it AJ Styles for granted. Totally. Yes, a hundred percent. I mean, it's the way the the WWE Championship has just been very straightforward. Everything is just like cool. Oh, AJ's gonna have a good match with whoever mm-hmm. this time around and we know this joe match is going to be awesome and joe's going to bring serious heat i hope he tries to hurt aj or, or something mean happens here but yeah totally taken for granted it's it's it was it's been really easy to do that um daniel bryan and the miz can't wait can't wait i think that like th- this is one that's i think that's also um it's it's managed to i think by accident become something something huge something important something that we all have a vested interest in um yeah i part of me part of me wants to say that like i wish that they'd waited till wrestlemania but at the same time like i think that daniel bryan while it's exciting that he's back like that pan's gonna cool yeah, that's true for sure. And I also think that there's no reason this can't continue forever. This can be a rest of their careers feud. Yeah. There's no reason they can't fight at WrestleMania also. Uh, we've been watching them feud for a few years. We've been into it the whole time. I really think this is an opportunity for them to do a feud where they have this match. They can fight not until WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. They can... They can part, and then all Miz has to do is start yapping again, and they can come back to it. Sort of like how Champa and 
your new NXT oh my champion. God. Right. I Tommaso totally forgot Ciampa. about that. That happened while we were away. Holy shit. Um, but I really like how long it took for him and Gargano to cross paths again. It mm-hmm. was like they had their first one and it was so insane. And then everybody like needed a little bit of time to cool off. Can't be intense uh, for, you know, 100% of the time. So it's just like, go away. And then come back it's, even hotter. Yeah, exactly. Then the crowd's ready for it. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that would be amazing. And especially for two people who are... I mean, The Miz just had a kid. Daniel Bryan, obviously. There's going to be health concerns for the rest of his career. Give these guys time to chill. Give him time to cool back off and heat back up. Speaking of chilling, I have to tell you, spending the last two weeks... With the G1 mm. at my disposal. Very chill. Fucking godsend. I mean, this is like, this is the first G1 that I've been like watching as it's happening. Me too. And it's it's just amazing the what, what you're getting every night. It's crazy how many matches they have. All of those guys are fighting... Like every single night. Who's your MVP right now? Kotobushi. Ishi, baby. I know you love Ishi. I and I and I, the the matches that Ishi's been having. I when this thing started, I was like, it's like, uh, well, Ishi and Naito have a fucking great match. I don't want to be on the the horn with everyone telling them to watch Ishi and Naito because those are those are my two fucking guys. I and. What what they're doing with Ishii right now, he's having, in my opinion, everyone's best match or second best match has been with Ishii. And I'm watching it and I'm thinking, why does he keep why does he keep losing? He's the fucking Dolph Ziggler of mm-hmm. New Japan. And then he beat fucking Kenny Omega. And yeah, it's like, dude. you know what? You know He's what? Fine. Ishii's got a fucking title shot when this thing is over because he he's the only one who's pinned the champion uh yeah that's true and and i think it's like a really interesting spot i think the g1 is a really interesting mechanism in general that just sets up a a ton of feuds have you been watching what zach's been doing yeah with the he grabbed the u.s belt after fighting uh grabbed the fucking it's uh, like he just started two feuds. I, this it's such a cool, a cool way to set up a year of wrestling, and it's just like here's our major players for the next year. Let's let's let them set up their feuds. I think it's like you know it's it's silly to think that that WWE you know to fantasy book like WWE just like aping this and like using that to, mm-hmm. but like. I we're talking here about God. It's like really hard to care about a babyface champion, and think about all of the instances over the past two weeks, three weeks, where we've seen somebody just become incensed with anger because of the disrespect that somebody has shown them, mm-hmm. holding up their fucking belt after they beat them in a non-title match. And it's like, that's all that needs to be done. Yeah. It's like none of these 
none of the title feuds that AJ's been in over the past year have really been about the belt as much. Yeah, that's true. They've been presented as something secondary that's not about the belt when really they should just be about the belt. He's not good at doing secondary stuff. He's really good at fighting for a belt. Mm -hmm. Why don't they just keep doing that? There's no reason they couldn't. I don't know. I don't know either. But you, your guy Abushi and, and Abushi's oh been. Oh my god, he's dude, been so money. I, I threw. I had a little debate on our text thread with Pat about this because he's calling Ishi the best in show as well, and I was saying that. Well, yeah, Pat's a smart guy. I mean, hey, Ishi's great. We've talked before about he's, but he was my entryway into Japanese wrestling in general, and. uh I think, though, he's been having killer matches, right? Like, potentially the best matches with almost everybody. Mm-hmm. But I think he's fighting those matches that we all know he can have. He's had those matches before, and they're all great. And I, I would never say anything negative about them. But I think that the thing with Coda is that he's having matches that nobody has seen out of him before. He's just turning it up to such a degree and, and becoming such an explosive force in this G1 that uh, I think it's like, and he's an outsider as well, which I think makes it interesting. It is. Uh, and so I like seeing him show up into this new federation semi recently. And then just being like, I'm going to explode your tournament. I like that. And I feel like the emotion that Abushi has shown throughout yeah. has been really, really captivating. He is, He's kind of hard to pin down. I feel like the fact that he is kind of an outsider really plays into that mm-hmm. well, and I don't know how much design is in there, but there's there's something about that guy where you're kind of just like, what's going on in there? Yeah. And he's got this he's got this friendship with uh with Kenny that I mean, what do we got? So we got we got Kenny versus Coda in the last uh, last night of Block B, and I mean, conceivably, that's that could be the determiner of of who goes on to fight the winner of Block A. Yeah, uh, but there's still Naito as a factor here. Naito, he still has is, a chance. But I mean, losses to Kenny and Ibushi, you got to feel like Naito's he's going to be finishing. Near the top, but I don't. I don't think he's at the top. I I'm really interested to see how it goes because it's 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 at the point now where you can do your bracket science. You uh-huh. can do the numbers, and everybody kind of has a chance here. Depending on, it's a lot of that. Like, well, you need someone else to do the work for you. It's a lot oh, of the, it's the like. It's it's, it's watching wild card. Wild card. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. And I mean, Naito can win. Naito can get in with some help. Yeah. Um, which is makes it even more interesting. I mean. You look at I I feel like you have the potential for I mean no matter what you have these captivating uh possibilities for finals you got block B could be Kenny Omega the champion it could be Kota Ibushi going over Omega to go into that finals to possibly win and face his best friend Kenny at the Tokyo Dome. Yeah. You could have Naito 
in there again. Back-to-back wins uh, in the G1. On the other side, Tanahashi. You got the the John Cena of of Japan is up there. Jay White still got a chance. I've been liking what Jay White's been doing. Me too. I've been liking Jay White. But you gotta you gotta think. Okada, rough start to the tournament. Oh yeah. But I mean, fucking. If I you, mean, he's my, he's he's my guy. I got you. Got to think it's Okada versus Ibushi in the finals. That'd right? be sick. Oh I would my love god, it. that's the dream. But I mean, like to face Kenny. Yeah, right. Get either of those two back against Kenny uh-huh. again. How can you? There, yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect. Either of them winning, then you're just in a great spot. I mean, because like Coda versus Kenny, that's gonna happen one day. But I mean, the fucking it's we're still ripe for a fucking Okada Omega rematch, dude. I would not argue with that oh one bit. God, they're the best. They're so good. I I've just been like it's it's just been so freaking captivating the past few weeks of just you know having having days where you're just watching you're just watching some of the best wrestling matches that you've ever seen for hours on end yeah one of the i think one of the things that i find the most interesting about these watching all of the shows is is that you know the past few years i followed along i've like read recaps and watched the the major matches here and there whatever this time around watching all the stuff i I always wondered initially like how the fuck did yoshihashi get four points Mm -hmm. or like you know how did these dudes who did they beat how could they have possibly beat anybody in their block yeah and watching it live now makes it so much more straightforward and it's a really cool way that they balance out some of these wins and losses i mean and i feel like they've they've done a really good job of like finding a way to make everybody look good like sonata's nowhere near the top of his block but he's had fucking big wins he had a he had a big win against zach saber like you know around the middle of this thing Mm -hmm. where and zach saber's had a fucking great tournament he's not gonna win it but he's looked incredible the entire time dude that zach sonata match was like that was that's that's in in my my top top five for sure yeah Yeah. totally it's so good and i and i'm excited for this weekend i'm excited to kind of just like you know watch the watch the last two nights for block a and block b and to just have have some time to just like all right let me let me go back and watch breathe it in ishii versus naito ishii versus omega ishii versus ibushi i mean there's it's been a lot of fun i feel like i feel like for a lot of people it's it's really been like this i think a lot of people are having the type of summer that we're having right now where it's like it's like oh cool we're we're fucking fully in on this it's not just it's not just the four or five guys that we know and the bullet club right so hey um nice to see you again hey it was great thanks thing for to coming by it feels yeah, good freaking, I, you know i had that i had that feeling where it's like man if if it doesn't happen this week oh dude i don't know i it would have fallen I, apart i i feel like we kicked out we kicked out at at two and and seven eighths yeah and we're back uh the crowd is standing it's cheering oh yeah Chloe's sleeping. The momentum has shifted. But hey, this has been Postmarktum 2000. Uh, my name is Tim. This is my friend Scott. We uh, we get together once a week for the most part. We get together 0.8 times a week to talk about wrestling. And uh, we do it because we, we like it and we like spending time together. We like carving out at least uh, an hour 
during the week when we can hang out. And we got to we got to watch Lolita this week too. So that, that was, was like so cool. we combined for four hours this week. Yeah, oh, we spent fuck. some time together. Oh, I love you so much. Uh, thanks for thanks for checking out this show. You can uh, subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. You can listen to my other shows as you were podcast about alkaline trio and better yet which will be starting back up next week and we'll be back next week see you then thanks folks you belong among the wildflowers you belong in a boat out at sea sail away kill off the hours You belong somewhere you feel free Run away, find you a lover Go away somewhere all bright and new I have seen no other Who compares with you flowers You belong in a boat out at sea You belong with your love on your arm You belong somewhere you feel free of cover You belong in that home by and by You belong among the wildflowers You belong somewhere close to me 